This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to have you. If you're new or you're kind of jumping in pretty fresh with us, we've been since March the 3rd in a study of the book of Acts. We're still in Acts chapter 1. I make a joke every week. We should be done by about 2050. So, <laughs> But we're just taking it slow. We're a family of believers, and we want to know what the Lord is speaking to us out of the book of Acts as a church. We really want to line our hearts up with what the Lord, His intentions are for us as a group of believers. And so I want you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and I want to read and I want to talk to you today about the purpose and power of why God picked this thing called the church. If you will, Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 12. It's where we started last week, so we're just going to start at it again. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. When they arrived, they went to an upstairs room of the house where they were staying, and here are the names who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Here's what we've been talking about is that phrase and scripture in verse 15, 120 people gathered together in one place. That is the seedbed of what we today call church. But the question is, does it really matter? Do I need to do this? And by this, I mean this, right now today. Do I need to be part of a local church? If so, why? Why was God's intent to start this way? Can I just simply say, hey, once a month is plenty for me to go? I think I read a statistic not long ago that the average attendance of people who consider a church their home, like that is my church home, on average they go once a month. I don't really know because I don't look at statistics to know if that's true or not, but in the study that they did, I still thought it was very interesting that I felt very connected to a body, and I called that body home, but at the same time I only went once a month to fellowship with believers and it seems to be that there is a, a thinking among a lot of Christians that this really is not that important. It's just part of a religious duty. It's what we do especially in the south because in the south you're just kind of raised you go to church. Kids go to church. Everybody goes to church. Of course it's shifting a little bit now in our culture but if you've been raised in the south there is a church on every corner and well we just go. It's just what you do. You go to church. And, and if I feel like it, if I have time, if I'm not too busy, and I'm not here to belabor that. I mean, Robin and I have raised four kids, and uh, we, we know the struggles that can come with school and stuff. And, but I also believe uh, after nearly 30 years of marriage together and raising four children, uh, I can honestly say, pastoring or not, we have always made an effort every week to go worship with believers. 
Even in the year we took off, we drove an hour every Sunday to go be part of two church services at a church in Savannah and be part of a local body because we felt that important of church. This is a little strange. I don't mean it to sound strange, but even when I go on vacation or go places, I always seek out a local congregation and I, I try, it doesn't always work, but I try to go be a part of it, to be a part of what the body of Christ is doing because in what I've seen, uh, you know, in my reading of the scripture, I've seen it's more than just an organization. It's more than just a corporate entity that has a 501c3. It is the body of Christ. And so I want to talk to you about why God wanted to start with believers in a room. And you go, you can go back and kind of listen to last week. I won't belabor the point. But these 120 believers, it's not like they all get along. They come from different messes, different backgrounds, different problems and all. And God just lumps them up in the room and says, this is the way we're going to begin this thing. And the more I study the Bible, I realize God's intent never changed. So why is it important to gather together with a group of people bigger than yourself? And when you read the book of Acts, it almost feels like that the church just, it was an immediate idea God had, and then he just launched out with it. But if you go back and study scripture, Acts chapter 2, birth of the church, Acts chapter 1, verse 15, all the believers together in one place getting ready to go propagate the kingdom of God on the planet, it was not a haphazard by chance. It has been a setup the whole time. God has intended it. So I want to teach you why it's important. But what I also want you to know is neither am I going to go check off or give you a card like they do when I go to Gold's Gym. I scan my card and then they welcome me coming in the door. But I will tell you this. I joined Gold's Gym. They give me a little you know, zip card and I scan it and it's welcome mark. We're so glad you're here. But you know what? I'm paying that fee whether I go... Or not. They're charging me every single month whether I show up. But you know what I've noticed? I just don't get any stronger if I don't show up. It feels good to have the card to go, oh, I belong to Gold's. When was the last time you went? Uh, seven months ago? <laughs> oh, so that's your problem. Yeah, but I feel good because I'm a member. Like I could go, but I just don't because I'm busy. And I think a lot of people kind of treat the body of Christ like Gold's gym. You know, hey, I'm going to send them my money, but I'm not going to go. I just, I mean, I'm there, but I'm not there. I mean, I'm with them, but I'm not. I mean, if they gave me a card, I mean, I do have the t-shirt. That's kind of my card. But the real, the real deal of being a member of Golds is show up and do the work. Show up and, and, and it'll change you. So I want to teach you that. So go to Genesis and here's a phrase I want to give you about community. That community has been God's intent from the beginning of time. This thing you and I call church, this thing that you and I call uh, Sunday service, has always been from the beginning of time God's intent for community. Genesis chapter 2, if you will. And I want you to listen to this thought because community has always been in the mind of God when he made Adam and Eve. Verse 8. The Lord God 
planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed man that he made. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, come on, she must have been really pretty. He had already checked out all the giraffes, and she's prettier than a giraffe. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. She will be called woman Now listen, verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. The beauty of this is that from the beginning of time, God always was thinking community. Why bring Eve? The Bible teaches, and if you study it, the Bible teaches that God paraded all of the animals in front of Adam. And he began to name them. I don't know if he called them what we call them today, but for the sake of the moment, there's the elephant, there's the rhino, there's the duckbill platypus. That had to be a God moment. There's all the animals that we have. Who would have ever named it that but God? A duckbill platypus. I would have called it a beaver with a flat nose, right? I mean, I don't know what God calls them. But the Bible says after he named all the animals, there was no suitable helper found for him. So as he's watching them parade by, he's thinking, no, that, that's, not, that's not me. That's not me either. No, that's definitely not me. The hippo, yeah, could be me. Right? I mean, he's parading these animals. And then the Bible says, but no suitable helper was found him. So here's what God does. God doesn't have a committee. God doesn't sit down and say, hey, tell me what you're thinking here so I can make something really incredible for you. Because in his brain, he could have never thought up the image of a woman. He had never seen a woman. He did not know what they looked like. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if he knew what himself looked like other than this. Because the only reflection would have been God. He was in the image of God. There is no mirror. There is no, what do my eyes look like? What does my mouth, my teeth look like? So the only reflection he has of himself is to look in the face of God. And when he looks in the face of God, he must see himself because he's been made in the image of God. But he does not see a woman. He doesn't even understand what a woman would be. He doesn't understand sexual union. He doesn't understand have babies. He doesn't understand multiply and replenish the earth because he has no knowledge that we would know of. And so you know what God does? In his wisdom, in his wisdom, God puts him to sleep as if to say, hey, bro, chill out here a moment. What I'm about to do is going to blow your mind. And while he's asleep, God does a surgery and creates a woman and then wakes him up. And I love this. God didn't even ask, do you like brunette or blonde or black hair better? Do you like freckles? Do you want her tall? Do you want her skinny? Or do you want her to be an Enneagram 9? Right? I mean, he didn't even even care. He didn't even know how to care. How do you even know? There's no personality test. There's nothing that they... He can't even see, are we compatible or not? Will I like her or not? What if I don't like her? What if you give her to me and I really wanted a short woman and you gave me a tall and skinny one? When he wakes up, he, he has no... Here's the weird thing. He has no perception where to be disappointed. 
He has zero perception to be disappointed. The only thing that can happen when he comes up out of the sleep is the most fabulous moment of his life to go, finally! Oh, man, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my... I can only imagine he's just staring at her going, wow! This is in... Oh, you have things I don't have. Wow! This is incredible! Who would have ever thought of this? And the father standing behind him going, <laughs> me. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then the weird thing that only God could do is take two humans and unite them. And he says, you're one. You're not two. You're one. I don't see you as two, Adam. I see you as one. She was brought out of you. You were brought out of me. You are one together. Walk as one. And from the beginning of creation, God always intended community to be part of his plan. Why? Number one, community always reveals the wisdom of God. There is something about this room right now that reveals the wisdom of God. The reason it doesn't work is we come with perceptions. I come in the door. I want the church to be this way. I judged it before I've even walked in the door. I want them to sing these kind of songs. I want them to talk this way, preach this way. So now I can't even let the wisdom of God work because now that I've been awake long enough, I start judging Eve. I don't like her breast. I don't, she's too tall. I'd rather have a red head. I don't like the way she looks at me. She doesn't laugh at my jokes. Do you see, once perceptions get in, now we start having issues. Because I left the wisdom of God and I came into my own wisdom. Left to yourself, fellas, you would have never thought to create a woman. You need to thank God for that woman. You would have never thought about it. You're just looking at rhinos. And if you want to know why I know that's true, because men today are still doing the same thing. Sitting out at five in the morning with a gun in their hand, waiting on an animal to go by. (sighs) Nothing wrong with it. It'd be nice if she got up and he was in the kitchen like, waiting on you to get up. Woman. (sighs) You know? I mean, the reality of God The wisdom of God. So community reveals the wisdom of God. So why isn't it so awesome in 2019? Because really it's not about His wisdom anymore. It's our wisdom. It's not about His perceptions. It's about my own. And I've been hurt and I've been disappointed. I've been let down. The body of Christ didn't meet my need. The body of Christ didn't rise to the occasion. The body of Christ failed me. The leaders failed me. The people failed me. And suddenly, rather than being one with Jesus and one with Him and worshiping Him like we were singing, here I am to worship. We've committed adultery with Him and we've put Him over to the side and said, the perceptions I have of you and your body now, they do not meet the needs that I have. And then my own wisdom, I begin to chase my own desires. I chase my hobbies. I chase the things that bring me contentment and bring me satisfaction. And God's people begins to take a back seat. Why? Because I don't know you. You're not family. I'm not family. And yet at the same time, the wisdom of God is this family right here is one of the most important families you will ever have. 
but the perception of American church is, no, this is not my family. My family or these one, this one person beside me is my family. Because there's no way I could trust a stranger. There's no way I could put faith in a stranger. There's no way I could ever trust a human because they'll stab you in the back and do you wrong. You see, what we've done is we've traded the wisdom of God for the wisdom of man. I just want to go sit, go once a month, sit in the back, sit on the front, ignore as many people as I can, do my duty to make me not feel guilty. But I've really lost the power of community. It makes me feel one with God. It brings it. Number two, Genesis chapter 7. It's the story of Noah because God discontinues the community and instead of being two people in community, now the community is going to be eight people. Eight people in community. God shows up to a man, calls him the only, here's what's strange, calls him the only blameless man left on the planet. For those of you that love to study the Bible, that is a great subject of discussion. That's where the Nephilim and all those big theological words come in. But God looks down at the planet and says, Well, this guy Noah is the only righteous dude here on the planet. He and his family. And the story goes, God comes down, build me a boat, 450 by 75 by 45, and get all the animals on it. I'll see you in 100 years, and we will we'll keep the show rolling. But Noah had to live in such a way, just take this for a moment. Noah had to live his life in such a way with the wisdom of God. Because we can't leave this behind. The wisdom has to keep coming. Noah has to live his life so powerfully under the wisdom of God that for 100 years, building a boat, I'm sure his wife said, what are you doing? Why do you keep dragging these trees in my front yard? What's going? And I'm sure the kids are like, Daddy, let's go play ball. And he's like, I'd love to play ball, but we've got to drag a tree. A hundred years. You've heard me talk about it. One hundred years. Find a tree, chop a tree, drag a tree, stack a tree, tar a tree. For a hundred years. And don't you know Miss Noah was a little upset when they woke up one day and every dad blame animal on the earth is in her front yard. She's like, what are you doing to me? But God said he's a righteous man. Genesis chapter 7. I got to get there. Genesis chapter 7. Listen to verse 1. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all of your family. How many of his family? Yeah, in other words, he's got to live with such the wisdom of God that the kids follow suit. Maybe today the reason mom and dad serve the Lord and the kids are scratching their head is because mom and dad, you're not living the wisdom of God at home. You're living your own wisdom. And then just want them to read the Bible, go to church. But see, if you're not living the wisdom of God on a consistent basis, when the glory of God shows up, you turn around, your kids are nowhere to be found. So he has to live in such a way that the kids get on the boat with him because if the kids don't get on the boat, the whole thing is messed up. Do you understand what God is teaching us about real community? Real community is your family matters. Real community is living the wisdom of God because when you live the wisdom of God, it will filter down to your children. 
And in their teenage years, they may think you're an idiot. What are you doing? Why do you read the Bible, Dad? Why do you go to church, Dad? Why do you pray, Dad? Why do you give 10% of your money, Dad? Why are you always helping people that do you wrong, Dad? Why do you always love people that do you? And Why don't you get them back, Dad? Mom, why do you do this? Why do you always make me pray over my food, Mom? Why do you read the Bible to me when I go to bed, Mom? Because parents understand if I will teach and live the wisdom of God. Dad, why don't you ever curse Mom out? Why have you never slammed the door, dropped the F-bomb? Why have you all been married 30 years you've never hit her you've never slapped her you've never screamed at her because honey I've got to live the wisdom of God and I'm afraid if I hit your mom she might kill me while I'm asleep <laughs> right? I'm not trying to be all godly I'm not saying there's not times I looked at her and thought well oh, man I'm, I'm and I'm sure there's times she looked at me and thought I want to bang him with a frying pan on the head but we've lived the wisdom of God we don't let our emotions curse one another. We don't let our emotions speak death over each other. We live the wisdom of God. Oh, we're not perfect. We just live the wisdom of God. And we've gotten splinters from dragging trees, but we live the wisdom of God. And our backs have been tired from doing God's will, but we do the wisdom of God. And sometimes I don't feel like getting up and keep doing the wisdom of God, but I do it anyway because it's the wisdom of God. And I don't want to get up and go to church because I've been at the dad blame ball field for nine hours. But get up, we're all going. We're not sleeping in. We're going to follow the wisdom of God. And I can't afford to get you those shoes, but the wisdom of God says we need to be a giver. So we're going to give something away. Well, Dad, why are you giving it away if we need it? Honey, because it pays to be a giver. We're going to do the wisdom of God instead of become selfish. And now 30 years later, all of my children serve the Lord. Not because I'm perfect, but when you do the wisdom of God and you follow his wisdom, your kids will follow suit. Because I'll tell you this, the world is trying to get them to get their wisdom. And you have to lay it out. Listen to what God said, verse 1 again. Go into the boat with all your family from among all the people of the earth. I can see you alone are righteous. The second thing community does. The first one, it reveals the wisdom of God. The second thing community does is reveal the righteousness of God. Because what community showed me in Noah is that God will hem his people in. And they're different. This is different than any club the world could offer. This is not Gold's Gym. This is not your motorcycle riding club. This is not a cheerleading club. This is not a lion's club. This is not the rotary club. This is the body of Christ. We are different. We're called to be different. We're set up to be different. We are the righteousness of God. You say the righteousness of God? Yes, not the righteousness of yourself. The righteousness of God. So when we come into the room, we come into the room as the righteousness of God. Well, I thought we came into the room like that motley crew of 120, broken, messed up, you know, distracted, disappointed people. No, 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 no. That was before you came into the room. But the moment you stepped into the body of Christ and said yes to Jesus, you became the righteousness of God in Christ. We're different but our wisdom is, no, we're not different. We're just like every other club. We're just another nonprofit organization. We're just another come if you want to, don't come if you want to. It's all a lie from the devil. We're not that at all. We are the family of God. 
And here's the beauty, beautiful thing. We are called as God's people to reveal the wisdom and the righteousness of God on this planet. This is the wisdom and the righteousness of God. Asian people, black people, white people, African people, all kinds of people, Indian people, all in one room together, different races, different Enneagram personalities, different incomes, different life stories, different things, different hurts. Some have been married multiple times, some never. Some have been molested, some never. Some are addicted to porn, some are addicted to medicine, some have a terrible, hellacious life. And God says, good, all of you come in the door and watch Watch what I'll do with my wisdom. Watch what I'll do with my wisdom. Watch what I do with my wisdom. My wisdom will put you in a body. My wisdom will bring you joy. My wisdom will heal you. My wisdom will redeem you. My righteousness will forgive you. You will find forgiveness as you fellowship together. That's the original wisdom of God. 2,000 years later, man. Oh, no, it's not wisdom. It's now our club. It's now our own personal wisdom. And so now if you don't toe the line right, do the, play the confessions right, and do all the stuff right, you know, we can gossip, we can stab you in the back, we can hurt you. And now rather than the original wisdom of God to birth the church, it's our own wisdom. We don't like Eve anymore. We've been hurt. Our perceptions are wrong. We have too many, uh, what's the best word I can say? We've got too many experiences to prove it's wrong. Rather than just going, well, what if all of our experiences of wrong have made us miss what's really right? Community, what we're doing right now is not a church service. What we're doing right now is the wisdom and righteousness of God. And it's not about me and you, it's about revealing Him. And this consumer mentality, come and sing the songs I like and do what I like, it is never, that was never the intention. Adam was sound asleep. God didn't need an opinion. Noah didn't get an opinion. Adam didn't get an opinion. Eve didn't get an opinion. I don't like him. He's kind of short and squatty. Nobody got an opinion. God said, it's my wisdom. It's my righteousness. I just want to know, will you live my wisdom and will you live my righteousness? Because if you do, it will reveal to everyone coming what's about to happen. But God doesn't stop with eight people. God moves on into several hundred thousands, Numbers chapter 2. Now God goes from a man and a woman in community. God goes from eight people in community. And now Numbers chapter 2, for the sake of Bible history, the two people, Adam and Eve, have now morphed into an entire world population of which God pulls out a people called His own that will be called Israel, that will be called Judah, all the way through the Old Testament, or they're pretty much the rest of the Old Testament is the story of this Jewish nation, God's people, His own, called by His name. So you would think that God would just stop community and say, well, now there's just too many of you. I can't keep up with all of you. But community is so important to God, and what are the two things community does? Let's practice, go to school. Reveals the wisdom of God, and what else? Reveals the righteousness of God. So whatever God does now from the future, because Genesis lays the foundation of community, it's to reveal wisdom and it's to reveal righteousness. So now what God is going to do is to take a community of several million people 
and outline them in a community, and I'd like to read it to you in verse 3. The divisions of Judah, Issachar, Zebulon are to count toward the sunrise on the east of the tabernacle against their family banners. These are the names of the leaders and the numbers of registered troops. I'm going to spare you all the names. The tribe of Judah, 74,600. Issachar, 54,400. Zebulon, 57,400. So the total, verse 9, of all the troops on Judah's side of the camp is 186,400 people. So on the side of the camp over here is 186,000 people. And they're camped with the, the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle here, and they're all looking at the tabernacle, 186,000 of them. But keep reading. The tribe of Reuben... 46,500, Simeon, 59,300, Gad, 46,650, verse 16. So the total of all troops on Reuben's side of the camp is 151,450. And these tribes will be second in line. All the way down, if you will, to Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, 40,500, 32,003, 35,004, verse 24. So the total of all the troops on Ephraim's side of camp is 108,100. Then on down, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, verse 31. So the total of all the troops on Dan's side of the camp, 157,600. These tribes will be the last of the marching orders under their banners. Now watch this, how this is the brilliance of God. He starts with Adam and Eve and says, that's wisdom. Community reveals my wisdom. He comes to Adam and Eve and says, I mean, uh, Noah, and says, community, eight of you in a boat, reveals my righteousness. So God has revealed wisdom and righteousness. Community, watch this, community in God's mind, not my mind, but in God's mind, community will always reveal, and I'm hammering on it, it will always reveal wisdom and righteousness. Does anybody want to guess who the wisdom and righteousness of God is? I heard someone whisper Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Does anybody want to guess who the wisdom and the righteousness of God is? Jesus. It's Jesus. I want to put up a graphic in a moment, but the graphic goes this way. In the center of the camp is the tabernacle of God. His presence is kept there. His glory is there and camped on every side. On the north side are troops. On the, on the east side are troops. On the south side are troops. On the west side are troops. And all the troops are facing in to the wisdom of God. All the troops are facing in to the presence of God. And everybody's on the open field and all the tents are set up and all the camps are laid out in their numbers. 108,000 to the north, 151,000 on this side, 154,000 on this side, and then 186,000, nearly 30,000 more on the back side. And we say, well, why would God do that? What's his point? What is he trying to reveal to us in this community? If you take a bird's eye view and we have a nice little drone and we could fly up above it to see what it looks like, put the graphic up. That's what the graphic looks like. 
three tribes to the north, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, and three tribes to the south. And when laid out and looked upon from a heavenly view, it reveals the wisdom and the righteousness of God. Even God himself is looking over it with his presence in the middle. Do you see the presence, the tabernacle in the middle is the wisdom and the righteousness of God. But I've laid you around it. I positioned you in such a way. I even say in Corinthians that I set you in the body where I want. Because if the 186,400 say, I don't like it on the bottom. Yellow's not my favorite color. Hey, let's run over here to the other side. Then the cross begins to get messed up. It starts looking more like a rectangle and a triangle. And then when people get their feelings hurt and 186,000 people, 90,000 decide to leave and go start their own wisdom, now it doesn't even look like a cross anymore. It looks more like an airplane propeller. Because God intended community to reveal the wisdom and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Community was never to meet your social, personal need. Community was to reveal the wisdom of Jesus. And 2,000 years later from Jesus, when we hop from church to church with our feelings hurt, mad at one another, we can't do community together, this thing starts becoming to look more like a trapezoid than a cross. I'm not saying it's wrong to have multiple churches. I'm not saying it's wrong to not have your favorite preachers. I'm not saying it's wrong to go visit other places. That's not my point. I want you to go enjoy other places. But I want you to understand that community to God is important. Even if it's not here, you need to be somewhere. If it's not at Believers, I'll help you find that place because not everybody's going to like what we're doing. And that's okay. But we do want you to get in with what God is doing. You might not like the way we do it. That's okay. This is our wisdom trying to display God's wisdom. But, but come on, you've got to love it more than you love yourself. You've got to love His wisdom more than your own. His righteousness more than your own. Somewhere church has to start taking a priority. Oh, now here we go. Church taking a priority. Now your wisdom has gotten in. You mean you're going to take record roll every week? No, I'm not. But the Lord's watching. And I'm not saying you have to come here. I, I, I really hope you hear my heart. My heart is, I think a lot of what we call church is turned into our own wisdom. And our own self-righteous behavior. And really the beauty of it is it's supposed to reflect Christ. Why do you go to church every week, Mark? Well, answer simple. I'm the preacher. <laughs> Gotta go. If I don't show up, Derek's preaching. He's going to be mad at me, you know? No, but I go because I just love God's people. Why do you do community time? You always make us hug people. And I always hear the introverts. I just sit down because I don't like to touch people. Ugh. That's okay. That's the beauty of community. If you're an introvert, just put a sign and say, smile, don't touch. <laughs> We're fine with that. Susan's going to hug you anyway, but we are fine with that. Susan's just going to go, bless your heart. You know, so you're going to get hugged by her regardless, right? But it may stretch you out of your box a little bit. 
and extroverts. Not everybody wants you up in their face. Not everybody needs to just have you doting all over them. But that's the wisdom of God. Because when we worship with different kinds of people, with different personalities and different likes and dislikes, and Jesus is the core value, man, it's just like, that's so refreshing. The core value is not getting on a team. The core value is not to get in the group. The core value is not to see how many people can come in the door. The core value is not the right music. The core value is the wisdom and the righteousness of God with a bunch of motley crew people coming in the door and going, man, I'm just here because this is the wisdom and righteousness of God. What do you mean the wisdom of God? Because everybody in here has been broken. Everybody in here has been messed up. Everybody in here comes from different upbringings and racial backgrounds and social backgrounds and economic backgrounds. And we're the only place you can just come as you are in the wisdom of God and go, God, you're bigger than all of us. Your wisdom is bigger than my own wisdom. Your ideas are bigger than my own ideas. It's the only place in the world you can come as you are and be totally messed up. And in an instant by saying, Jesus, you are Lord. Every sin, every failure is just washed away completely. That's the wisdom and the righteousness of God. But I leave you with this thought. I I often wonder, have we lost it in the American style of mentality where that has become more of just a logo than the core value of heaven. It's become something I just wear on my arm, something I wear around my neck. But really, Acts chapter 2 is not the beginning of the church in the sake of community. It started with Adam and Eve to reveal wisdom. It grew into Noah to reveal righteousness. It was organized in the Israelites to show an object lesson of what community was And on the day of Pentecost, God said, here we go. This is going to take over the world. And I would just ask as we grow together, as we move forward together as a body, I would just ask that we would always seek the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you will, I'll end reading this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is going to be our reading this week. It talks about the wisdom of God. 31 verses, and it's pretty brilliant of what the Lord says. Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. We who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Verse 19, as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So tell me, where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek the human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, there's that wisdom and righteousness of God. The Jews are offended, and the Gentiles just say it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God, verse 24, to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. 
Verse 25, we conclude. This foolish plan is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. That is what community is about today. Community is His wisdom is bigger than our wisdom all put together. His strength is more powerful than all of us together. But when we come into the room under the banner of His wisdom and His strength, we find His wisdom and we find His power. And we walk out the door full of His wisdom. And we walk out the door into our 50 feet full of His power. That's the beauty of this thing. I want to read you a story that happened in 2015. And then I want you to listen to the wisdom of God as I read it. It's my personal story. It's just not too long. Many of you know, maybe you don't, that in 2011 I had a meltdown of epic proportion. Well, I made a bargain with God after such that I would never preach again. I got out of ministry, I looked for alternative employment, and I swore times 1,000 I would never tell my story because it was too embarrassing to share my failure with any human outside of counseling. God has seen otherwise. This last weekend, I found myself in Pennsylvania with an opportunity to share my story. It wasn't something I was looking forward to, but I endeavored to share it the best way possible. Part of my story lies in the details that I took off a year from pastoring to get my life back on track. So I really did not do any kind of ministry at all in 2011. I had resigned from my churches and wondered if God would ever use me again. In sharing my story, a gentleman came up to me and said, While you were taking a year off in 2011 bargaining with God that you would never preach again, I was sitting in prison listening to your CDs of you preaching. You see, you mailed me those CDs and I gave them out to all the inmates. We listened to your CDs every day and passed them around to each other. It was like you were our pastor as we listened to you preach every day. Even though you thought God wasn't using you during your year off. God was using you every day to preach to all of us. And with tears in our eyes, we both hugged for the first time ever. And he thanked me for sharing my story. So I want to encourage you, no matter how dark your life gets, no matter how bad it looks, no matter if you failed miserably, no matter if you're on the brink of divorce, No matter if you feel like giving up, wondering if God can ever use you, forgive you, love you, or fix you, hang in there. God is a good God. He came to redeem the worst of our failures. He can restore. He can give you back hope. We don't need to bargain with Him. He works well in an environment of failure. Trust Him. Stay in the game. Be patient. You never know whose life you may be touching even when you think it's your darkest hour. He's a crazy good God and He loves you regardless. 
And He can use your broken, failure mess better than you could ever dream. Don't hide. Don't be embarrassed. Be a voice of restoration and redemption. He's waiting on you to trust Him. Your life, your story, you just have to be the one God uses to bring hope to someone who's given up. That is the wisdom of God. That is the wisdom and the community of God. That's the wisdom of God. I, my wisdom never going to tell a soul to embarrass in God's wisdom yet. Watch what I'm about to do with you. My wisdom, I'm just such a failure. I'm never going to preach again. God's like, it's too late. Your CDs are all in the prison. I want to leave you with that thought. That's what we're trying to build here. We're just trying to build a community of believers that understand His wisdom is bigger than your own and His righteousness is bigger than your own. And welcome home because this is a good place to celebrate that revelation. Would you stand with me if you will? I hope that helped you a little bit. And next week when we come back, I'm going to teach you how this practically works out. I just wanted to leave you with the thought of it's necessary in God's mind. And you being here is more than a club. It's an opportunity to show forth Jesus every single week when we gather together and honor Him. Father, I thank you so much for a chance to come together. And I pray, Jesus, that today nobody will leave this place broken mess or letting failure. So I leave you with this today. Be bold. Our elders are to my left. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 